Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to ColtonClassicPodcast.com. That was uh, the fantastic pod puppy barking in the background from uh, guest Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? Oh, I'm great. And my neighbor's lawn is getting freshly mowed. Yay. Yeah. The, we'll, we'll try and work around the weed, blo- the, the leaf blowers and all that. That's probably going to come my way too. Uh, with us always as well is the wonderful Jeff Tucker. How are you doing today, Jeff? What's up? I'm not made of gingerbread. That's sad, but he is a ginger. I am, yeah. And uh, and remember, guys, you can see that he is a ginger. Uh, if you join our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, we'll get videos wow. of all podcast episodes as, as well as all sorts of cool stuff like autographed trading card designs and uh, exclusive videos and such. And with us is fantastic contributor Greg Johnson. How are you doing today, Greg? Uh, I thought the deal was I didn't have to talk. I just oh. show up. <laughs> this is a bait and switch and, and as always i'm your host nate wyckoff comedian and film reviewer for horrornews.net we have a fantastic gary Busey double feature more Busey, more trouble today on colton classic podcast we have 1986's eye of the tiger action film and then 2005's uh, full moon features production of the ginger dead man both of which star Busey at various stages in his life and career, and I am super excited to talk about these. So, just to get right off the bat, I Am the Tiger, uh, starring Gary Busey from 1986 slash 1987, depends on when you uh, consider the release date, is a, it's sort of a walking tall uh, kind of movie that's got a little bit of uh, uh, death sentence kind of vibe. It's uh, Gary Busey plays a Vietnam veteran, very decorated, who goes to jail because uh, the sheriff he's working for is a jerk. And he gets out from a small town and of course a motorcycle gang selling uh, narcotics in the desert has uh, decided that he's a punk and they kill his wife in front of him and his daughter and he goes on a rampage to wipe them out and clean up the town. Uh, so let's, let's start here, Greg. What was your expectation going into Eye of the Tiger? Um, well, you know, I honestly uh, agreed to watch both of these. I don't think I've ever seen a Gary Busey film. Um, so <laughs> I, had, I had no expectations. I was like, oh, like maybe it's finally time to watch one. Um, I was curious, did you, did you pick one before his accident and one after his accident on purpose? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was expecting... 
I guess bad acting because I've never again I've never seen right. any of his. He's movies. actually pretty good, huh? Yeah, yeah. It was really talented. Um, I spent most of this movie wondering if this was more like uh, Charles Bronson in Death Wish or Stallone yeah. in Rambo, but sure. Uh, and so I think. And this is a, the accident you're referring to happened in 88. So only yeah. uh, a couple of years after this film wrapped, um, it was a motorcycle accident. He wasn't wearing a helmet. His skull is fractured. He has permanent brain damage. Um, that's why in, uh, in the ginger dead man, he has, uh, you can kind of see a little bit. It looks almost like he had a stroke. He has a little bit of a, of an eye um, malfunction in his right eye. I mean, if you didn't know, I don't think anyone would really get that drift um but it it does make sense after you see the before and after performances but i think that his acting still kind of holds up i had a tiger for anyone not familiar with the song uh i don't know what alien planet you just beamed down from but here we're going to take a listen to this because it is the title song and, and we're going to talk about it uh, this is from survivor one of the best bands ever to have graced this planet Now, just to note, Survivor did have two singers uh, over time. Vital Signs is their greatest album. And uh, I did see them uh, at a casino in Connecticut uh, with both singers shortly before one of their singers passed away. So if you missed that, I feel bad for you because you cannot possibly live a full life. But Eye of the Tiger is not only the theme song and the namesake for this film, but it's actually played three or four solid three. times in this movie. Three, three times, times, right. Yeah. Um, the beginning, the ending, and then before the ending. Uh, and it's, it's pretty extreme. And also there's a James Brown song, which is played several times. Now, that seems like overkill, uh, except I think it's partially because the Scotty brothers who produced this movie, their production company, they're actually a record uh, producers. And so they uh, had the rights to uh, Survivor, Zia the Tiger, and their album. So that's where that multi-use comes in i don't think that they wanted to license any other music um i don't know was that noticeable it was noticeable to me i'll tell you what uh, i was in the pitch meeting for this movie uh it was back in 19 <laughs> you know 94 95 so i was a fetus at the time but i still remember the pitch and the it's pitch also, was it's little 10 years after the movie was made yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes what was the pitch so the pitch was that uh, they had this really great song and they were going to just, uh, you know, make a film on it. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the studio was like, do you have any other ideas? And they, uh, they were like, nope, nothing. You don't have a single other idea. And uh, they started filming uh, that next Wednesday. So that, that's, uh, that's where this film came from. Uh, and it's, I, I think it's, it comes out pretty obvious. Uh, because there's really not much else to it. It's just this, uh, you know, this song is epic. It won an Oscar for a good reason. And, uh, you know, let's let's just make a film uh, with uh, Eye of the Tiger as the, you know, the, the heart, the core of it. And, and what you're, you're mentioning, of course, it is a fantastic song. It's super identifiable. And the Oscar came from Rocky Three, which is where is the theme song for Rocky Three, And that does predate this movie by about four years, I think. I think it was 82. Uh, so it's one of those things where um, people were already familiar with this song. Um, 
But I think that the concept was, uh, we have the rights to this song, and uh, well, they didn't call it Rocky Three: Eye of the Tiger, so that's a huge miss. So we're gonna we're gonna do this because uh, Rocky Three hasn't come out on VHS because it's the olden days, and people still love this song. I also want to mention uh, those of you watching the Patreon will see it. Uh, the best poster, I think, it's the the UK DVD release of this, and it's been released by Shout Factory here in the US. Um, it's tagline is just a man and his will to survive dot 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 that is not indicative of this movie at all um because the actual plot he he his his girlfriend and he has a daughter when he gets out of prison at the beginning uh he goes directly there and she's like basically like i really want to move um we don't have a desire to stay here the town doesn't want us here the sheriff doesn't want us here and uh, and he's like, no, this is our home. And then after the bikers uh, kind of, he saves a, a nurse from being raped and murdered by the bikers. And so they, they get on his case and she's like, we have to go. I really want to go. And he's like, okay. And of course that night they're going to move is when the bikers attack and trash everything. Um, that's not really a will to survive. He, he could have left. He's not surviving. It's a total vengeance movie. It is, um, you know, um, Death Wish, essentially. Um, a little lighter in tone. Death Wish is so brutally gritty. Like, I, I enjoy the film, although it's been called a conservative's wet dream. Yeah, um, Death Wish is a lot more political than this. Sure, sure. Um, but this one, it really is. There's some, I think, fantastic scenes. I was actually surprised. I think this is a pretty high caliber 80s action flick. It doesn't break any new ground, really. But I was expecting something a little less for a film that's essentially unknown. Uh, I think for, for the widespread audience, Mandy, what was your vibe going in? Uh, well, like Greg, I don't, can't recall ever seeing a Gary Busey movie before. So I just went in cold on both of these. And um, I guess I was expecting I have the tiger to be the theme song. Um, but I was just like, I don't know. I was confused. <laughs> as little plot as this had, I actually kind of had some trouble following like what people's histories were and stuff. Yeah, so. the histories are not really explained all that well, right? <laughs> I was like, wait, why was he in jail? Like, who is this other dude that's getting out of jail with him? Right. I don't understand he what's going on with where he lives and the sheriff. Like, I don't get any of it, but it was an action film, so I didn't feel like I really had to. I, I feel like it's. I feel like it's one of those things where they have all this backstory for the character, but they really only give you just enough to move the plot, not even really to explain it. Like, we don't know who, Gary Busey is in, his character is in jail, uh, Buck is in jail for killing someone um, that apparently the townspeople know needed to die. But we don't, uh, and we think he was a sheriff, uh, a deputy or some, some level of, because he works for the sheriff, but the sheriff is crooked. And, uh, and, and just saw this, saw him as com competition. So uh, he, he was like, nope, shouldn't have done it. You're going to jail, prosecuted him, and, and he went to jail. And then when he and gets they out- They also mentioned that it was like self-defense. Yeah, like it's sort of a con air kind of vibe, it sounds like, to bring a uh, good friend Nick Cage into this, friend of the pod. <laughs> hey, Nick. Um, yeah, no, it, it does seem like that, right? Like it's, he, he, he's a Vietnam vet who killed someone in self-defense. We just, I thought bar fight, you know, roadhouse-ish, but you just, you don't know. They never talk about it. And in the beginning, there's this hilarious like crotch montage of uh, Buck and uh, this other guy getting dressed as they get out of prison. And Buck, of course, just has like beat up jeans, which he wears the whole movie, which I like. And, um, and a plaid shirt. And the other guy has a total Tony Montana white suit, 
um, right down to everything. And you learn that he's got a big scar on his face. He's like, Buck, you saved my life in prison from something somehow. And he's like, I'll do anything for you. And then it's sort of a um, uh, desperado, all uh, uh, once upon a time in Mexico, Robert Rodriguez twist where like, he like all of a sudden he needs help. And so he calls in help from this guy and the guy delivers him like the super eighties, like SUV truck version of kit from Knight Rider. Like it doesn't talk to him, but it has all these gears and switches in it and, and mortars attached to the back. And he gives him this new truck and loads him up with guns. And he's like, we're even, um, and so there's all these 80s elements in here, but we really, yeah, we really don't know anything beforehand. And no one seems to, everyone seems to reference it, but they just never say it. Um, I guess the decision, I, I don't know if I, I don't know what I feel about the decision because I guess I, I appreciate the not hammering me in the head with exposition for stuff that really is not that important, but it's referenced so often that um, it was noticeable that I was like, what did he do? Um, I just felt like I was missing stuff. Like I was yeah. like, I thought I was paying attention, but maybe I wasn't. I don't know. <laughs> so so my like, take on it was, uh, you you have all of these these characters, and they have all this like backstory that we're not told, or kind of like told in uh, kind of this weird way. Uh, I, I thought it just made it really uninteresting. Um, I thought like. I understood that they weren't telling me these things, but like, I wanted a story. Like, I know it's an action film, but like, tell me the story, you know, like, tell me what happened. Why are we here? Uh, what are the, what are the motivations? They, the, you know, the villains of this movie could not be as, could not have been more bland or uninteresting to me. They had no, there was no character to them. They literally almost had no dialogue. I think the, you know, the biggest dialogue point on either of like the big villains was like, you know, leave him to me. He's mine. You know, that was like their big dialogue moment. So uh, to me, it was just like, these characters are just so uninteresting and so bland. Like I had a hard time getting into it at all. Like I just like, I didn't care about any of these characters and like what, well, what's what what's the doing. what's the the old writing adage? Uh, the best villains are the silent heroes of their own story, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and will uh, the the character the the head of the biker gang is Blade, played by William Smith, a fantastic character actor. Um, he was in uh, Any Which Way You Can, Red Dawn. He played uh, one of the Russians. It, he's been in thirty gajillion films, including a lot of voice work. He did an episode or, or two of uh, Family Guy. Also, he's been all over the place. He has this really great gravelly voice, um, big guy. But yeah, w one thing. So. I think that there's some interesting things in this movie that kind of surprised me though, um, because on the surface, I expected the standard eighties action flick, which I did kind of get like it, like we said, it takes from death wish, um, walking tall, these kind of vibes. Um, it has everything from him protecting his daughter, who's kind of mute for a while after she sees her mother brutalized and all these things, you know, um, the hero who is fighting for the good fight, even if, there's no reason because the people of the town are really shitty, right? Like they don't, they don't want to do anything for themselves. Um, but there's, there's a couple things like both he and the villain cry at one point, um, which that's, that's pretty unusual to see the, the, the main characters cry. Like he cries after his wife is murdered and he's sitting on the bed in a hospital with his daughter uh, uh, as she's sort of in a, in a, like a, a, a comatose state and uh and then um 
the uh, the villain cries after um, one. Probably my favorite scene is when after this has happened, Gary Busey has gotten out of the hospital, and he's told the the town priest that he's getting vengeance and he does one of those uh, high tension wires across the highway and decapitates three of the biker gang like right early in the movie and one of those we learn or kind of assume is the brother who is the you know giant beefy rape monster of the movie um and we don't actually see that but we see uh blade look and start crying at him and he says later that he killed his brother so i thought that that was an interesting sort of frankenstein touch right you're getting what is especially in these super macho movies a very quote-unquote female feminine you know response even if it's not full hysteria um and they're giving it to these people which is is interesting and it does create a moment where you're like are they foils um but we don't have enough information on blade to ever get that i also will say jeff i'll agree with you on the villains i i didn't they counted on um uh william smith's character to to sort of him as an actor to carry that character. There is no character. He's not giving any dialogue. He basically just was mugging. I mean, they needed Don Nam to come in and and, and mug for them. And maybe they could have gotten through. It's true. Good old old undefeatable Don Nam. Yeah, I'm sure he was available. Um, And no, I love, we love you, Don. I appreciate everything that you've done. Yeah, so... The other thing that really threw me off is because I was thinking of like Stone Cold with Brian Bosworth, you know, former NFL, which is like another, I think that was technically 90s, um, but uh, it's the biker gang on like in the 90s and 80s, the biker gangs were just, uh, they were the jihadists of the era for film, right? Like they were the everyone enemy. If it wasn't Russians, it was biker gangs. Like when the Cold War started to cool in, in, in uh, the media circle, biker gangs were everywhere. Um, and they seem to not really understand what biker gangs were like um, in other movies in this one. Like, they don't, they're not like the chain wearing, like, uh, Harley Davidson riders all the time. They all wear shiny black uh, helmets, which isn't very rough and tumble of a biker gang, and khaki green jumpsuit kind of deals that's that's literally their only wardrobe which by the way they're not actually wearing half the time when they're at camp so it's this weird concept of before they go hassle the town they have to dress in their matching jumpsuits and put on their shiny black helmet and then go ride through the desert you know what? I'm sure that does help, though. It really helps uh, when you hire, like, what, two stunt guys, probably, and they <laughs> right. all look alike, and you don't exactly. need to look anymore. Yes, exactly, exactly, yeah. So, I mean, exactly. I'm sure that there was an ensemble cast of four, um, <laughs> because that's the only amount of bikers we ever really see at the same time. Uh, and Except there were a couple of scenes, like, at the wife's funeral. Um, like, I think they they nailed the bikers sort of menace. Like they went back to the fifties and sixties biker movies, you know, where people were, they were hassling store keeps, you know, the rebel without a cause, a wild ones kind of thing. Where like, um, at Busey's character's wife's funeral, uh, the bikers show up and do a little circle around the graveyard and revving their engines and then drive off. Right. Which is really like, it is what we see in these spooky anti-protest bike movements right they're like we're gonna go show a force of power and threat without actually doing anything so there's these weird touches and i think it to me i liked a lot of these touches and there's a lot of moments i liked um and i enjoyed the film overall as an action flick from the 80s but i think 
part of the disconnect we're hearing, like that you're mentioning, Jeff, and you're mentioning, Mandy, is that it's almost like it couldn't decide on whether it wanted to be like a legitimate drama film with action um, or if it wanted to be just a beer and popcorn um, action flick. Because we actually get a lot of dialogue between Buck and um, like his friends, uh, like especially um, the still working sheriff, uh, who's a great actor uh, played by it's Yafet Koto. Uh, he plays J.B. Devereaux and uh, he's most recognizable as uh, Parker from Aliens. So, uh, excuse me, Aliens. So you'll you'd probably recognize him if you were to look at a picture if you don't recognize his name. But he's got this great line. Basically, the wife's been killed. Um, and after the funeral and after the bikers show up and, and do their little circle, um, JB takes Buck in his car and drives out to the desert to an overlook and shows him where the bikers just kind of hang out and make their drugs and then they fly it off, right? Because that's what their business is. And it's sort of that moment in so many of these movies where it's like, um, I'm taking him down, are you in? And in this case, he's like, no. Let's listen to that conversation. Because, of course, he's a black man in the middle of this podunk, uh, Texas-ish town. Um, let's listen. Well, I remember time. That time has passed, but I just don't care anymore. Look, I did my time. It took me 20 years to make a sergeant. And I had to come to this hick town to do it. It would have taken any shithead pecker with two years. Look, I don't owe anybody nothing. But I know why that badass sheriff hates you. He's afraid of you. And I just loved that moment where they're like, um, he's like, no, I don't owe anyone anything. And the implication is I don't owe you anything either. Even though like, like I like you and you did what was right, but it's not, this isn't worth it to me anymore. I don't even care. Um, and that was such, and even though of course he does at the end kind of help him out. Um, I, that was a really interesting moment because uh, like to bring back Death Wish again, Death Wish is sort of a, hopeless despair movie where um everything is so bad it's like the ultimate law and order everything is so bad that what we really need is a white guy with a gun like that's that's the concept of that movie essentially um and in this we get i guess especially in our current political climate i kept getting these weird hints of like oh man the masses are stupid but there's a chance for us individually, right? Um, because uh, why is JB friends with this good guy who uh, is in a shit town that doesn't care about anybody but themselves? He's black, right? Like it's the two outcasts of this town are together. And um, as opposed to feeling exploitative, which it so often does, like, oh, he's, he's a side character. He's going to die next scene. He's the black guy of the movie. It wasn't that. It actually felt like they were using the fact that JB was black and in this town that had zero diversity. Um, actually, to be fair, there were four black people in the town. We know because JB brings them back uh, to the final scene in a show of force. Um, it, it used that to sort of show uh, Buck's character's uh, otherness right in this town of normal. He even calls it at one point, he's like, you guys are pretending it's Mayberry uh, in an Andy Griffith reference um, when it's not, it's, it's terrible. There's, there's lice everywhere is what he says. Um, so I thought that that was an interesting moment and a strong show of acting. And I 
don't think another, I think that would have been cut in another action movie. Like that never would have made a Steven Seagal film in the eighties. You know, uh, it probably wouldn't have made a Chuck Norris film in the eighties either. Um, and, uh, and frankly, neither of those two could have carried this conversation on that long uh, in the scene either. Uh, um, so, yes. Oh, I was going to say, um, JB had one of my, I, I don't know if it's my favorite or least favorite moments of the movie. Cause it was so, <laughs> it was so out of left field, but when he gets near the end, he gets the chopper and he's like providing air support and like, kind of like throwing stuff at them or bombing them or whatever he's doing. It was so like a team. Like yes. A team ran through this whole movie. Yeah. He's got a crop duster, like a plane yeah. that he's built up himself and he's throwing hand grenades off. That's and then at it. one point dynamite onto the, um, onto the desert town. And the movie does go like full a team at the end. Like, like I said, when his truck, the back pops open and these like never ending mortars launch out of the back uh, and machine guns on the front and back. Um, I, I like to, there's this weird, it's never brought up again. Um, and, but it's, it, it's a, you have to assume that the guy who gave him the truck and stuff who he got out of prison is uh, in a drug cartel of some kind. Um, he's, he's clearly a stereotype of Tony Montana oh, yeah. uh, from Scarface and, uh, and he lives in Miami. And so we, so the fact that he's getting this, it's not even, it's not about the drugs, right? The drugs, no one even says drugs are bad in this movie, really. It's not about that at all. It's about that the biker gang is tormenting a town and then, and then it becomes personal. Um, and this is another clip I want to show. This is actually my favorite scene in this movie because this is the scene you would never get now. And I don't think we got it very much in the eighties. And I think it speaks to what we're seeing in the United States. Um, this is near the end, right before the cli- the, the, multiple there's actually two climaxes in this movie um and it's uh before they go take on the drug cartels camp um there's a bingo gang going on and uh buck bursts into the bingo gang here we go Don't you know what's going on out there? Or are you just pretending not to see it? I can't believe this. This place is crawling with lice. And you're acting like it's Mayberry RFD. You know, when I went off to Vietnam to fight, I wasn't fighting for patriotism or some flag or some country. I was fighting for this town. So I could come back and marry Christy. Have kids and raise a family. Have a normal life. You know, it don't matter how we wish things were. It matters how we deal with how they are. And you gave Sheriff Copeland this town. You gave it to him. He's got it, he ain't gonna give it back. It's as simple as that. I'll tell you what, the next person that dies might be your wife or your kid. So I want to know who is going to help me. So what's so amazing uh, about this to me is uh, it's a scene where the hero has sort of reached the point where he has to confront the ultimate evil of the film, right? Which is the, the, both the drug runners and the sheriff. And he turns to the common people of the town, which he's essentially fighting for, and says, who's with me? 
and no one is with him. Zero people. And they don't show up at the end to help him out. They literally choose uh, ultimate uh, ruination instead of helping the hero who has a very strong possibility of success as he's shown. Um, and I think that it's, it's really crazy because we, we so rarely see that in, a, in, a, in an action film, um, especially one where we have a decorated war veteran. And not only that, but in his speech, he, he like over, distinctly says, I did not do anything for patriotism, which is something you would just not hear. I mean, can you imagine that having been an American sniper? There's no way. Um, it just, it, and I'm not even dissing that film. It's a different film entirely, but uh, you just wouldn't get that in this climate. And I think that to have a hero of a film who's separating his aspirations, fighting the bad guy, the drug dealers, through, this isn't about drugs. This is, about, this is about the people and our life. This is about the quality of our life and the safety of, of our loved ones. And no one stands up. And that's both shocking and horrifying. And right now, especially as uh, I, I assume most of our listeners are liberal, I'm sure there are some that aren't. I hope you take no offense, but you know, this is my podcast, so eat it. Um, we, you know, with the 2016 election and Donald Trump, it's sort of like, oh, yeah. Nah, I'm not going to do anything about it. It's just too hard. I, I don't want to take the effort. Maybe we could change. Maybe we can't. Um, and that's this whole concept of this. Uh, it makes me think of it, during this whole Black Lives Matter um, protest situation, we've seen uh, a lot of police officers uh, and the military National Guard and things wearing the Punisher logo, right, which is the white skull on the T-shirt and so on. And they'll sometimes wear on helmets. And it's, it's commonly used in the armed forces as well. Um, and uh, Jerry Conway, who is co-creator of The Punisher, actually put out a statement, uh, a couple, I think last month, two months ago, where he's like, this is a, an extreme misunderstanding of the character and story of The Punisher. For those who don't know, and this does have some, some merit in this discussion, I think, The Punisher is a, a decorated cop whose family uh, is killed in a botched mob hit. They, they witness it and they're killed on a picnic. Uh, he survives and uh, essentially nothing happens to, to those who, uh, who've killed his family. So he decides to go outside the law and he, he lives off the grid and becomes a punisher and goes and hunts and kills, uh, punishes people uh, for all number of transgressions, uh, law related and otherwise. And that's sort of like lawless strength, you know, that vigilante power has been this weird um, icon for the military and police. And his, Jerry Conway's response is, you don't understand. The Punisher story and the character is exemplary of a supreme failure of the police and the justice system. It is a sign of failure of our ability to do what's right. So when you hold that symbol up, you're counter to what you think it is. You know, you're not doing the right thing. And this is saying that you don't understand that. Um, and so I really liked that. And also Jerry Conway has also had a bunch of artists recently. This is ancillary, create um, Punisher skull design shirts uh, for Black Lives Matter that, that benefit the artists and the movement. And so you should go check them out. They're really cool. They're very creative and, and pretty awesome. But I thought that was a phenomenal thing. And I was thinking about that statement he made while watching this movie and seeing these moments where um, Buck's character 
is not fighting for these grand ideals or, or anything that's, that's too large to really comprehend. You know, they're, they're not lofty. They're very ground level. He's saying safety, normalcy, and, uh, and the ability for us to recognize what's around us as opposed to ignoring it. And although that's, those are lofty ideals in and of themselves that you wouldn't expect to find in, a, in a, an action flick, the fact that he directly references them it just runs counter to the stereotyped action film. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I think that if that had been made a focus that was carried throughout uh, overtly, this would have been a radically different movie. I don't think it would have been any better received, um, but I thought that was interesting. I don't know if anybody else got that. Like anybody else saw that separation of the normal hero, uh, but it certainly, it all started to become clear for me as soon as he said, I didn't do this for patriotism. Well, I mean, I I think it's one of those things where it's interesting that he has this big speech about, I didn't do this for patriotism, I did it for this town, I'm for the good of this town. But like you said, one of the best scenes in this movie is him setting up a long wire across the street and beheading three people. And, you know, you're... you're you're kind of giving this vigilante validation right. and something something that could have gone horribly wrong. You know, <laughs> yes. some, some kid could have come by like on a, on a scooter or a skateboard and like just slit his throat or whatever. It's, it's kind of saying like, Oh, like all the cops in this town are greedy and stupid and can't get what, what needs to be done. You know, what would make cops work better if they had a ripped white tank top, and an AR assault rifle and just got to home right. alone trap up the town. Like, Right. And it, it, it's, it's so true. Right. Because, and I, I was talking to my wife about this and I was trying to find out what caused such a rise in the eighties. And it started in the seventies, but in the eighties with the revenge movies like this um and there are variations most of them are, are like this the mass the deadly prey ones you know the 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 man loses woman man must fight and kill to regain manhood uh those type of things but they also had some like the woman uh, raped and brutalized as is normal and then comes back and kills her attackers right like we get both sides of those revenge flicks in the 80s um, and I was kind of confused, especially because my assumption is, is that they, they come from, and they're so gratifying sometimes because uh, they're satisfying when we feel powerless, right? Because that's what the stories are showing. This person has been robbed of power and now they're taking it back by force. Um, and I'm surprised that we haven't, see, with that as my idea and what my operating, you know, uh, operating, um, procedure has been as to why these movies were made and successful in the 80s. Why haven't we seen them now? Because we really don't uh, see them right now. Um, well, and I don't know if it's- We see them in a different form, I think. You, there's still tons of like revenge. I don't even know what to call it, like, like uh, fetish or like, you know, that revenge, like itching that revenge nerve. Like you have mm -hmm. things like Dexter, um, where you have, you know, this like serial killer that kills other serial killers um, it's just like, it like kind of like this... a different it's just it's just morphed into a different form i think uh, but, but why the story though, right? i hate the most of the girl with the dragon tattoo like oh yeah yeah that's big revenge I, I think it morphed just because uh you know the like anything things evolve right it, i'm uh, changed yeah like the yeah. the story of the revenge because like I mean, we actually do have a modern. I mean, John Wick is is kind of the modern. Sure. You just replace the the wife 
with a dog and it's yep. you know it's like kind of this similar concept um but even even that had had been become a little bit rare because it just it it doesn't work that well really um you have to really um kind of sell that this person is you know just in their revenge and it, it's it's pretty hard to do I, right it's I, like, I'm, I'm gonna, in wick it's i'm gonna it, push back on that though because especially what we're seeing with like the black lives matter movement right is that there is no other alternative, right? For a lot of these situations. Like the idea, you know, whenever you hear someone say like, oh, protesters have been, uh, you know, they should peacefully do this. They should just elect their officials. They're like, that's not an option. We've been pushing for that for how long? Uh, and through voter suppression and, and oppressive policing, all these things, right? So um, now it could speak, I think you're right. I think there's other things at play, right? Like I think- um, You're, you're you talking about a more kind of nuanced thing in, in kind of in reality and i agree with you in that like all the power is gone uh and you know eat like basically no matter how they do it they're gonna they're gonna get judged for it like if it's kneeling during a, a football game it's gonna be like well how dare you you know do that to our troops you know if you if you you know do it a different way they'll find another way to say well how dare you do this because if you stand sure. up in a way that somebody notices you're inconveniencing someone, right? Like you're doing right. something that made somebody look and <laughs> basically in the way that you made them look, they're going to complain that, why did you make me look? And what really people are saying when they're like, when they say all lives matter, what they're really saying is, I don't care about your problems unless you share a skin tone. That's, right. that's literally what they're saying. Sure. But what I'm saying, what I'm just getting at is in the 80s, I think that the reason the revenge films were strong, especially, and they're all, pretty much, except for some rare black exploitation examples, they're all white people fighting, white men fighting back for what they've lost is because you have this yuppie rise, right? Where people were doing really well, but then you had, that's, you started to see that huge disparity between the, the, the blue collar uh, worker. Um, and in the eighties, we didn't have great representation. Uh, it had, we'd moved away from strong representation like we had in the seventies in film. So you were getting more whitewashed and then, uh, but you can see it in things like Die Hard. Die Hard is the blue collar worker, okay, who's like, uh, he's literally out of place, no shoes, stuck in a tower of rich people um, fighting for them because he's the real good guy, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, and he's pushing back against these, these sort of, um, these high-minded things uh, and saying, that's not real. I'm real. And so I think that's where you're getting that. And when you see, uh, you know, and, and so I guess I, because it's so overt in our, in our current political situation and social situation, I'm surprised we haven't seen a rise in that. And I, I, I'm guessing that it has to do with two things. One of which you mentioned, like with Dexter, um, I think that we no longer are accepting a black and white view Right. And so a black and white view no longer allows us to enjoy a movie like this as much because yeah, there saying. is no all good, all bad. Yeah. But I think that that is a distinction that's getting broken down again. Right. Because the whole defund the police or abolish the police has been raised, all these things. It is becoming sort of an all or nothing because of the desperation and the uh, overwhelming uh, negative treatment of people by these institutions. And I mean, it's of their own, you know, it's of these institutions own making, you know, they were not, they're, they're a boys club, right? But you're getting these things where, uh, 
it's no longer to those of us like myself, who is a, a privileged middle class, middle-aged white kid, uh, white guy, I am no longer allowing, being allowed to see things in that gray way because instead of being more understanding and accepting, it's almost like the gray has gotten to a point where it allows us to rationalize poor behavior, right? Well, this is bad, but there's a chance that this was bad too. Um, where it used to be, this is bad, this is good, right? And now I think we're getting back to that point where my guess is, is we're gonna start seeing a lot more revenge films again. Um, and John Wick may be the, the, the precursor to that, uh, especially since it's being so insanely successful. Um, but I'm curious to see what that next round looks like and who's starring in it. Uh, I think that that will really talk about um, uh, or really hit us. Uh, it'll really be a social commentary um, on, on what's happening because right now we're seeing the horror genre get some mixes of, of uh, social uh, and, and racial justice questions. Like of course, Get Out of Star has, has really been a strong member of that. But I think we're gonna see that more. Uh, and I think the revenge genre is going to make a comeback. So I'm expecting some um, more BIPOC focused reboots soon. And I'm, I welcome it. I, I love this genre because I often get angry reading my Instagram feed and just need some mindless uh, bashing and beheading. Well, I, I um, outside of kind of the revenge genre, I was curious what you all thought about, like maybe just the dumbing down of films or let, let's take um, the original Rambo compared to the most recent one where the original yeah. one's this, you know, story of Vietnam veteran coming sure. back and having no place in society. And the most recent one is something's happening in the Congo, I think. And I gotta, I gotta shoot all these violent people. And then if you take the original death wish, which is about kind of um, liberals are only liberals until they're faced with violence and then they become gun-toting conservatives and mow people down. And the one most recent with Bruce Willis, it's kind of this doctor battling with his do no harm, but should some people live? And it's, it's a little more black and white. Or even um, let's take Wicker Man, where the original is mm -hmm. the bashing of like – Christianity against literally any other way of thinking. And then the most recent one is how many women can Nicolas Cage punch in the face? Like, <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's, it's taking um, films from the seventies and eighties and let's not have a discourse. Let's have pure escapism that, you know, maybe gets a little more problematic. Mm. Yeah. I think one thing that I always take is, so the, um, the person who wrote the novel for Death Wish, Brian Garfield, uh, he died in 2018. Um, he, he also wrote uh, the book that inspired uh, the 2007 movie Death Sentence with Kevin Bacon. And in that one, of course, you're still dealing with a white middle-class person, right? Um, but what it did, and it's a fantastic, I love that movie. I think it's a fantastic film, but it sort of said, oh, I see all this, political confusion with this question that death wish caused uh and how you said i mean it, it's like a reagan wet dream right or a nixon wet dream it's it's super law and order um and without any of the satire of robocop or anything and uh death sentence says we're going to take all that away and what are we left with and you're left with uh, a father's hurt for the death of his son and you're like oh that i understand now and it's a movement away from, again, I think it's a movement away from the patriotism ideal, which is this overarching thing. We're all in this 
big unit together to this is my life, me and my family. And whether, you know, there are good things and bad things with both. Personally, I think the individualistic idea uh, is, is more preferable because uh, I run a podcast and you can't be any more individualistic than that. I just put something out there and make you guys listen to me talk for uh, 60% of it. And I'll let you guys squeeze in some comments, but that's, you know, that's that change. We see that change and I'm waiting to see what the uh, revenge genre brings to it. Cause John Wick is great, but it's still very grounded in the personal, right? Like it's, it's beautiful because it's stylized and well shot and well acted and well scripted and edited, but it's also, um, this is my internal pain that's causing this story. And I think we might see a more socially driven one coming up. And so I'm curious, I'm putting it out there as a, as a prophecy yeah. and we'll see if it comes true. I, I don't I know. Like, I think even thing. John Wick was like self-aware though. Like the, the makers are like, oh yeah. Like, you know, this guy, this guy's dog got killed and then he went and, you know, murdered 40 people. Uh, you know, and, and, and it sounds I mean, totally reasonable to me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's like self-awareness says, okay, this is wackadoo. Um, and, uh, you know, like, is John Wick, like, the hero? But, like, obviously, when you're watching the film, you're like, yeah, fuck those people. They, they right, sure. Dog. No, uh, and I, I agree. And I think it's easier to play on that now because we feel that, right? Like, we understand it's his plight and his trauma. Um, we're very... Uh, we're much more familiar and open with this, the concepts of psychology, right? Like we are like, uh, oh, there is a background driving him forward. Whereas Buck, I think Mandy, this gets what you were saying, it's troubling for us to not understand all of his background because we want, that helps us understand how he's going to be going forward. I mean, look at Donald Trump. This is gonna be the most political episode ever, I'm sorry. But like Donald ever. Trump, right? Like all the stuff, his, his aunts and everything writing, Mary Trump writing a book, like we're seeing like people being like, why is he this way? Like we just can't accept the fact that he's a bad person and in my, in my, it's not even an opinion. He's a bad president. I don't care what you think of him. He's a bad president. Um, it's, it's, we want to know why. Uh, we have to know why. And it's sort of, it's sort of counter to Buck in this movie, right? When he says like, you can't wonder about why things the way they are or, or what we want things to be. What's right now? And I think that's what the protests are about, right? It's literally now in the moment. They're saying no more future comprehension, no more past comprehension, fix now. Um, and so I think that that's an interesting message that kind of is snuck in this movie and I picked up on, but I think 10 years ago, I would have completely missed. Um, and I wonder what was happening at the time that this was in production um, that caused that. Well, I mean, I think that the, you know, I, I actually really, I've, I've obviously flown a lot in my life. So, you know, I've heard the stewardess say, you know, you got to put your mask on first before you, you know, help your children or whatever. Right. And that's that concept of you, you have to be okay yourself before you can help anybody else. To me, this story is this town is not okay. They need to, they need to take care of themselves before they deal with any of those bigger issues. Right. Um, and, and I, and I think that that, that was kind of my takeaway from that moment was the guys, this, you know, we're, we're not even at like a baseline normal, like, you know, this biker gang is just coming in and killing like random people whenever they feel like it, you know, we have to fix this before you deal with any other problems. Like you can't even have a conversation about, um, you know, 
whether whether or not you know this sheriff is the right sheriff or not uh you gotta just you gotta deal with the the, the bigger problems first um and let's so remember I, that sheriffs are elected yeah. so it's not like a police force that's yeah, hired he, yeah no it, that that dialogue was the, the two dialogues you put up were by far the best parts of the yeah. entire film and really like the in my opinion the only really good parts of the film um because of those two things right you had the um the the the, the town gave or what was the dialogue he's basically you gave the sheriff the town and he's not mm -hmm. giving it back um and this idea that you have to take it back like you know you mm -hmm. have to you have to you're it's now on you to, have to vote that you created yeah 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 so um I'm going to I'm going to push back again Jeff and say that uh there's a third scene you're not mentioning which is uh when the the biker that is supposed to that uh JB oh, and Buck lasso from a from a truck and uh which by the way that in and of itself is subversive right uh, a black man driving a truck is dragging a white biker behind like that's I didn't some catch that. that's, good, that's, actually. that's yeah. some reversal yeah. shit right there um and so you and so they pull him down and then of course he can't talk because his voice is busted up because they lasso him around the neck right but he gets when uh buck gets when his daughter is kidnapped he gets the address by uh taking a giant gob of uh vaseline lubricant on the end of a stick of tnt and literally inserting it into the guy's anus to be proper about it and lighting it with a long fuse and saying, you've got like 25 seconds. Um, now, I love that. Seconds now. I, yeah, while he's <laughs> yeah, like, he hasn't even gotten in the paper. He's like trying to write. He's like, you don't even have a pen and paper yet. Hold on, buddy. Um, <laughs> and and what, what confused me though, is that I don't know if it was a budgetary thing. I mean, I wanted to see him explode. Because um, that was the question, right? It's getting down to the end and he leaves the room. The guy's panicking and it's burning down. And the question that you have is, is it going to be a dummy? Is it not real? Mm -hmm. Or is it gonna? And you kind of get the feeling no, it's gonna be. No, 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 no. It couldn't. It couldn't explode because that would have damaged the the hospital, which would have, right. which actually was like the one good thing that they did in this. That's film right. They characterized this guy as wanting to save this town. That's right. And it wasn't actually really just a straight revenge pick. It actually was this guy. He's like, I care about the people in this town, even though you don't care about me, and I want this town to work. Right. And by and the if way, you destroy the fucking hospital. It's, right. You know, you're 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 basically getting rid of the the. the and it doesn't. It was in. Right, exactly. At a time. Well, okay, the stick of dynamite probably wouldn't, depending on how much what that's stick right. it was, no, it wouldn't have She wasn't there anymore. That's right, she wasn't that's right. there anymore. But that's right, she was kidnapped. She was, was she was safely anymore. far away in a cage. Yes, um, in a cage. The hospital um, had great insurance. And that was that was Donald Trump's favorite part of the movie is when the kid was in a cage. Um, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so so uh, it doesn't go off. But then we're then we're we're shown that the biker dies of a, presumably a heart attack. Because he like flatlines, yeah, his like heart so rate scared. gets like like up to two hundred or whatever. And then right, right, right. Lines, so, yeah, so he yeah. still he still dies and gets his comeuppance. Um, and hey, and he died with a stick of dynamite above his bum. So that was a scene also that again I was a little surprised that this movie has kind of snaked under the radar because I feel like that scene alone, if it had a wider distribution at the time, might have put it in uh, the running for a memorable. Because I mean, we get movies like Under Siege that people still remember, and I know I keep saying Steven Seagal movies because they're terrible and he's awful, and there's nothing redeeming about him as a person. And but we get those and we remember, but I the Tiger's forgotten, and I think that that's sad, even if it's not uh, you know as fully yeah. developed uh, dramatically. 
But okay, you want gonna... to give me a moment to do my rewrite? Yes, do your rewrite, All Jeff. Right. So th this actually really goes to what we're talking about. This movie being kind of a balance between an action film, like a straight action film, and trying to be a drama. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna rewrite this. Obviously, I'm not gonna just make it more of an action film. I can't do that because I can't shoot you know scenes and show them to you. So I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it into more of a drama, uh, and. Uh, it actually is going to, another thing that you talked about of making this really black and white, you just have the villains that mean mug at you and drive, you know, motorcycle circles around. I'm going to make them interesting. Um, so, all right. So the movie starts out, we actually start out in the prison, get rid of the weirdly framed crotch shots uh, that are also weirdly lit. Uh, that whole scene was weird. Um, and I just can't believe that they, I just can't believe they didn't reshoot Gary Busey putting his belt on because he had to try twice to get the hole. And I know that we all do that, but you couldn't have given him another shot to get it on the first go around. The other guy got it on the first go around. All right. I don't know, man. It they was, were back the in the prison. Thing was just bad. It was a bad start. So they're in the prison, but like they're actually still in the prison. Uh, we actually see the moment. So like three dudes come to kill. Uh, I think his name is Jamie. Maybe uh, I'm going to name him Jamie. They're going to come to kill it is Jamie. Jamie. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, Buck comes in, saves the day, sweet prison fight scene. You know, they have shivs or whatever, and he's just fighting them off with his fists. Uh, you know, Jamie still gets injured or whatever. He goes to the, the infirmary. Later on, uh, you know, like maybe they have a few conversations about, you know, why Buck is there. You know, they're getting to know each other. Bam. Now we, we actually leave the prison. You know, they leave at the same time. They leave together. Uh, you know, uh, Jamie brings him to the town. He's like, yo, my, my you know, this, this place is a shithole. Uh, you know, my brother, like, works outside of town, but stay away from me. He's crazy. Uh, Jamie heads back to Miami. Uh, Buck, uh, you know, just incidentally screws up a drug deal for, for Jamie's brother. Uh now this this guy this is the crazy guy right the, you we're replacing the crazy angry rapist with somebody a little bit more interesting uh he has to then call his brother who like you know is super pissed because he screwed up this uh, big drug deal it's like millions of dollars uh and in you know a fit of rage he goes and kills buck's wife uh this then causes jamie to return to town and he's like you know obviously you know this guy saved his life and then his brother kills his his wife you know he he goes to the funeral and he's you know shares his condolences and he's like you know uh you know this guy's my brother and you know i'll punish him for you or whatever uh and you know maybe breaks his arm or something you know does something subtle not good enough for buck buck instills his vengeance on uh this guy uh, the the brother of Jamie, uh, which Jamie does not like. So now now you have this tension between two characters who kind of had been thrown together and you know maybe had built up an interesting friendship, and now they're they're at odds. So you basically blades out. Jamie's in as the big villain. Uh, now here's the big part. So you know they're you know mayhem ensues or whatever. Now we have a montage. How do you not have a montage with Eye of the Tiger as your song? This guy's he doesn't have, Jamie doesn't give him the truck. He's got to build this truck. So we have a montage of him building this truck. Wow. Very what an montage. idea. Yeah. 
I mean, like, how do you not, how do you not have a mic? I don't know. It's just construction worker friends are coming in and like yeah, soldering yeah, on yeah. I-beams. Exactly. He's got like people coming in and helping and shit. Uh, they build this sweet truck. Uh, and then, you know, mostly the rest of the film plays out the same. But, you know, basically now you have an interesting dynamic between these two characters that are like. Are we, so, so basically you're saying make it West Side Story, but with bromance. Sure. Yeah. I mean, okay. obviously, it's a little bit, uh, you know, uh, you know, what's the point? derivative. Um, but you know, this thing was a cookie cutter action film, anyways. Like, if sure. you're going to be derivative, like, do do it in a derivative way that's interesting. Well, and the last thing I'll say is, uh, and by the way, that's Jorge Gil is uh, plays Jamie in this movie, uh, and he was you you probably recognize him from Cocoon, and if you don't, go watch Cocoon. Uh, yeah. So, I think you're I think you're spot on. There could be more depth to this film. Um, but again, you'd have to remove some of one or the other to get that balance. And I think that the inclusion of all the background info that's so varying could have probably been cut down and they could have then beefed up the other components of it. Um, I definitely think the villains could have, as you said, been more interesting. Blade is unimportant. So um, and I'll also say the final fight scene is a little lackluster. It's pretty big yeah. until the, it's basically a slugfest. And I wanted some you know, that undefeatable eye gouging, you know, the, the scene that's wow. just something really like, ooh, to get it yeah, going. Yeah, but I mean, you have like this emotion, right? Like you have like the two characters, like the characters that started out in prison together, right? And then they have this big battle at the end, like a big emotional battle. Like they, you know, they both have love and hate for each other, you know, and then, I, I don't know, that that for me like brings a lot. It, it and then it ends with them just having sex in a big bloody yeah. pile of, of man beater, of wife beater t-shirts in the middle Love of the it. dirt. Everybody's on looking with their guns like, oh, and the bikers get on their bikes and run. You use the same Dumb. footage of the bikers like driving away uh, in the same. Uh, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll take your ending. Okay. All right. You got my edits. Let's, let's get this funded. Okay. Uh, right now we're going to wrap up. Eye of the tiger 1986 with the masterful Gary Busey, Mandy, who would you recommend eye of the tiger to and why? Someone who's feeling nostalgic for 1980s action films. Cause this is right, right there. And you probably didn't see it. That's that's, I would say that that is uh, that is absolutely true. Greg, who would you recommend Eye of the Tiger to and why? Um, pretty much anyone that's never seen a Gary Busey film. Um, if you just know him, it's like, oh, like, Gary Busey's crazy. Like, roll applause. Like, here's here's kind of proof that he's a really good actor. He's got some chops. It's a solid enough movie to entertain you. Um, not to step on your toes, Jeff, but uh, why wasn't it nicknamed Tiger? It's a real easy edit. Just have someone go, oh, hey, Tiger. And then it's all about, like, oh, what, <laughs> what the Tiger sees and he can't let things go and there you go then the title makes sense right yeah exactly that totally would have made sense you could have even i was actually wondering if there would be a literal tiger in this movie like he sends for help from jamie from miami and he's a he's a drug kingpin and he sends him a bengal tiger you know what i mean like awesome. that could have like that would have been fantastic and then at the end oh, yeah. he's like uh he's like we're gonna finish this you know hand to hand and he's like all right fine he's like oh not me my friend and then he opens the crate and then it's just a tiger comes out and there's this man tiger fight it'd be great uh yeah okay makes sense jeff who would you recommend or would you recommend i the tiger to someone and why um i think there's better like 80s action films so like i i wouldn't even suggest it to them i'd say one motorcycle enthusiast and like truck enthusiasts because like that's i think that was kind of what they were doing lots of motorcycle circles Lots of motorcycle formations and a pretty badass truck. 
And by the way, the motorcycles, I actually think most of them are dirt bikes. Um, I don't think that they're actually, actually motor, like they're, 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 there's a, yeah, there's they a were definitely dirt area. bikes. Like they were like, yeah. Desert, and I mean, they're, they're driving in the dirt in, mostly. Yeah. Um, it's just a like, weird, yeah. it's just a, a weird choice. Um, all right. Um, more no, Joe I think it is more of like, um, it was very <laughs> popular back in the seventies and eighties. The, uh, the Enduros, the motorcycle Enduros were a big deal. I think, my, our, I think our folks true. did that. Jeff and me, our parents, they did motorcycle enduros. Mm-hmm. They had a couple yeah, in the garage. And, ton of yeah. trophies. Yeah. yeah, she was awesome. Wow, she did not know that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a it was a big motorsport in the seventies and eighties. So it wasn't surprising to me to see um, to see that featured in an early eighties movie. Okay. So here's who I would recommend, I the Tiger, starring Gary Busey too. First off, I want to echo Greg. Gary Busey does a great job in this. He's got nuance. He's believable. Um, I think that it's really surprising because I think a lot of people now know him from his uh, reality TV show fame uh, where, where he's a, a, an alcoholic and an addict and, and he's just kind of crazy and he yells a lot. And his son, Jake Busey, another great actor, typically only plays insane, crazy people, uh, all uh, um uh, the Frighteners and Contact. So uh, those are the reasons, but he can really act. Um, and I think he puts his all in this and it's, it's, it sells it. Uh, I would say if you liked movies like Brian Bosworth's Stone Cold, uh, or if you like Steven Seagal movies, uh, this will blow your mind. Um, and it's, it's more entertaining and better paced than say Breaker Breaker. Uh, but it's very 80s, like Breaker Breaker, uh, even though that's 70s. So it's very much a product of its decade. And so if you're interested in that, give it a watch. I think you'll be entertained and you won't be uh, checking your watch too much because there's a lot of, of, of explosions and good bits coming. All right. So uh, next up, we're going to tackle Gary Busey Part 2. Okay. So for Gary Busey part two, we are talking about the ginger dead man from 2005. This, as you know, by listening to our podcast, and if you haven't listened and this is your first episode, go back, listen to all of them. They're pure gold. Uh, I'm not just saying that because they're mine. We've done a lot of full moon productions features here. This is another one directed uh, by Charles Band himself, uh, head of full moon features. And it stars Gary Busey in the opening scene, and then he does a little voice work later on. Uh, and it's called The Ginger Dead Man. The name alone has allowed this movie to have a cult following, and it has actually had three sequels, so it's four in total. Uh, I imagine we'll get another one. Gary Busey is only in this one. Um, apparently, they didn't expect him to take it. Uh, Charles Band said, hey, I've got a movie. This is it. I'd like you to do it for $25,000. And uh, he shocked everyone by saying yes. Um, so this movie is about a serial killer who kills uh, uh, teenage girls, or I guess she's in her 20s, um, brother and dad at a diner, uh, and then is caught by police. She survives. Her testimony sends him to the electric chair. And uh, then the crazy guy's mom uh, takes his ashes, we assume, and mixes them with some black magic gingerbread uh, flavoring mix and drops it off at the surviving girl's family bakery. Uh, and they use it unsuspectingly. Uh, one of her workers cuts himself on accident. Blood gets in the batter. There's a lot of what ifs here that occur. And it makes the gingerbread cookie bake into an evil little puppet master-esque uh, Gary Busey that tries to kill the girl and her friends as they're stuck in the bakery. 
that's, I mean, that's pretty much the rundown of it. There's her mom is still alive, but she's an alcoholic kind of dementia addled. Um, the film is very short. It's 70 minutes, an uh, hour and 10 minutes. And uh, I, we'll, we'll look into it. Okay, Mandy, what was your expectation walking into the ginger dead man? I was expecting him to say, you can't kill me, I'm the ginger dead man, at least once. I don't think that happened. No, it uh, didn't. I was very disappointed. It didn't. Um, I, I will say, I expected a lot of quips. Um, yes. and, and there actually are not that many baking quips uh, from, from Busey's gingerbread man. And that was actually a big downfall for me because they really needed a punch-up writer. Every single time he opened mm -hmm. his little puppet mouth should have been um, uh, a bit, you know, like... Um, should have been funny, at least. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, no, it's true, though. Um, they had a lot of opportunity. Um, but but that's uh, that was kind of missed. Jeff, what was your expectation? There, there going was into the one. He said, uh, uh, "Same, save room for dessert because I'm coming for you." That's yeah. true. That's true. <laughs> but I kept thinking things like, you know, um, uh, uh, everyone knows you saved the crust for last, or um, sure. you know. I mean, you're right. And most of it was just stab like, someone, and he's like, "Make a wish on the point," you know. Like, I don't. Yeah, that's it was a like, thing. eat me, yeah. you punk bitch, instead of like, I don't know, something more interesting. Yeah. It was just yeah. Kind of like, so uh, that was kind of, uh, but, but you're right, he does. Um, Greg, what was your expectation going into this movie? Um, going back to having never seen any Gary Busey films before this, I think this is what I was expecting. Just, <laughs> just an hour and 10 of hot garbage. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I will say as someone who loves full moon feature videos and these kind of insane, tiny things, killing people that are kind of puppets, a genre of which full moon is so well known for. Um, I, I enjoyed this film. There's a couple of things that elevated above the worst of the worst for me. And I'm glad that they have sequels because it gave us ginger dead man to the passion of the crust, which came out right around the time that Mel Gibson released passion of the Christ. Uh, and that alone is worth it for me um but the we do get the sort of contemporary gary Busey in the beginning the opening scene um the opening scene is by far more disturbing than anything in the movie uh because we have it just open with him walking around the corner in a diner shooting a woman at the counter and then shooting two other people uh and maybe three we don't actually know if he hits the surviving girl or not that's never really a, a point but he does fire the gun at her let's let's listen to this this is uh his his full scene that he gets uh, at the beginning here. He's talking, he's already killed uh, everyone in the diner except for this girl, and, and this is what he says to her. The next time you go out to a place, I want you to look for something safe. And I'm required to do what my mother always taught me, and that's to finish what I started. But I'm not going to kill you. But I have to honor my mother. And and that's when he shoots at her. And it here's the problem that I had the first time I watched The Ginger Dead Man, and yes, I've seen it multiple times, is uh, there's actually an interesting setup where Gary Busey's serial killer character is actually like kind of crazy. 
right? Like he's not just like, I'm just the cold. He's, he's not um, uh, in cold blood where he's just killing people and very collected and moves on to the next one. He's like conflicted and sort of Norman Bates-ish. He almost seems like he's talking to his mother in his head a little bit here. And he's very like, I don't want to do this, but I need to do this and I have to do this. And God damn it, I did this kind of thing. And we don't get that at all when he's a cookie. It goes out the window at this point. There is no characterization, not zero, but there's very little of this conflicted nature um, in the cookie. The cookie just, I don't know, runs around uh, and, and sort of attacks people and sets booby traps. So it's sort of, um, that disappointed me because I was expecting there to be a little bit more because they told us in this scene, essentially, that there is more and we didn't get it. Um, so I think that it almost set itself up for a little bit of failure by doing that when it could have just had him be a crazy person like my mama always told me, you know, not to leave any loose ends, wow, and then the police show up and then we wouldn't have expected that, you know, I don't think it was necessary because they mentioned the mother later on. Um, it's like in the news clippings, we see the news clippings to, like two years later after his execution a couple of times. Um, that say uh, his ashes were, and one of the characters, they sent his ashes to his mama. You know, we assume that the mother made this crazy black magic gingerbread mix and dropped it off. Uh, and we don't need to actually have him mention her, I think. Um, but with that said, um, I was pleased to still see that Gary Busey can act, um, but he certainly looks crazy. Uh, and I don't think it's for this role. He tends to look a little disheveled. <laughs> these days uh, my wife kept saying is that nick nolte and i'm like no <laughs> that's gary Busey." um yeah so we have that opening scene and then it goes to the bakery um where we follow uh, uh the the surviving girl um and everyone in this movie has been in lots of other stuff pretty much um and they're very much 90s uh and and early 2000s staples of shows um robin sydney plays sarah the lead character uh, she's been in not only a lot of uh, full moon films, um, but she's been in like uh, a lot of direct-to-video stuff that isn't full moon. She was also, um, she played a recurring character in Drake and Josh. Um, she was in uh, the, the Big Bad Wolf in 2006, a little cult classic. Um, she actually, I think her first credits uh, were actually on the Andy Dick show. Don't know... Uh, why or what connection if there's any there um, but she does uh, I think a decent job playing a very demure kind of normal girl with some traumatic history she's very nice in this movie but I also don't think she's a hardcore pushover um, with that said she also doesn't have a huge amount to do except react to a killer cookie um, we also have uh, her mother who is um, a very well-known actress she has limited scenes um, but uh, I think everyone will recognize Margaret Bly. And then uh, we have Ryan Locke, uh, who plays Amos, the eventual love interest, the sort of town screw up. He is, he started as a model. He's been with uh, Gucci, everyone pretty much uh, in, the, in the thing. He was in um, the Beyonce If I Were a Boy video uh, as one of the cops in that. So he's been kind of in a lot of stuff in, in the early to mid 2000s. Um, and he's still acting. So uh, he's, he's recognizable. I think the, the strongest parts of this movie are actually nothing to do with a ginger dead man, but they are between uh, 
Ryan Locke and Robin Sidney's characters, the Sarah and Amos characters, they actually, I actually thought their romance was kind of sweet. It was a little uh, cute. Yeah. yeah, it was exactly. It was cute. Um, and it was so funny to see it in a killer cookie movie. Um, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll play this a little bit. This is him and her when they're, they're talking, when they're, we'll talk about this, but when they're stuck, quote unquote, in the bakery and the killer cookie is already on, on the rampage. Tony had things been happening. Miss. What's that? Killsbury Doughboy? He's just the last straw. Listen, can't go pulling stakes just because Lorna and Jimmy Dean are putting up a stand. Yeah. It's easy for you to say. Can't let them scare you. Yeah. There's nothing really keeping us here anymore. Nothing that comes to mind anyway. Okay, so uh, I think that's the kind of thing that would actually be effective on Dawson's Creek um, or uh, even even one of the better episodes of the OC, something like that. Like it really felt like early 2000s um, teen drama on TV. And I think that that was solid enough um, but that's not why anybody watched this movie. <laughs> they watched it for the killer cookie, right? And you heard there the Killsbury Doughboy, all the best quips go to the humans, which is kind of sad because I really want to hear Gary Busey do it. And I would love to hear the story of why there's not more quips from Gary Busey. Um, because he says things that are just like, I'll kill you, bitch, you know, and he's like, meh. Like, it's not cookie-related. Taunts a rat at one point. That is the best scene ever. Okay. <laughs> when he So so the story is, is that um, Lorna is the daughter of the guy who owns the chain bakery that's opening up across the street from their little mom-and-pop shop. And they're trying to buy her out. She's kind of like, I kind of feel like I should quit because it, it's a struggle to be here. All I do is think about my dead family members. My mom's an alcoholic who can't help. You're kind of like, yeah, actually, maybe this is a blessing. You should take the 50 grand and head out. Um, but, uh, of course she falls in love with Amos and that's probably not going to happen now, but well, maybe it will, maybe they'll all go to prison because God knows how they're going to explain all these bodies, but, Man, um, and the blood in the, the dough and they didn't throw it out. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, so, but the rat, so anyway, Lorna is the daughter of the guy who's trying to take over and she's this snooty, like, you know, pageant queen. And, uh, she breaks in at night uh, while Sarah's still there baking and releases a rat uh, into the place. And the rat makes occasional scenes throughout. Um, nothing happens to the rat as far as we know. But there's this great scene where the rat is just crawling around having great times on these danishes on this cooling tray. And the ginger dead man is just leaning over him like, telling him like, hey, hey rat, get your ass over here. I'm gonna kick your ass rat. Uh, big, like no reason, never uses the rat. No effect. It's fantastic. Like I just want a series. And it's cut in weird. Like it's just like oh. between two random scenes. I just want a web series called like Ginger Dead and the Rat, and it's just <laughs> the two of them like bitching and moaning. Like they'll be like Waldorf and Sadler on uh uh you know the Muppet Show. Like they'll just be leaning in, like making quips no matter what's happening in the bakery. Like they're just up on a little awning. I would watch that. I would. I would buy the season on Amazon Prime, you know? Um, but that was my favorite scene because it is so Looney Tunes out there. And the movie, you expect to be Looney Tunes out there, but it's actually, it's kind of not. 
Um, it's a little bit more of a movie than I expected it to be, and, but it also misses all the opportunities that comes with such an outrageous plot. Um, I don't know, it, how, how, did, how did, there's one big problem and we can talk about it, which is why didn't they just leave the bakery? Right, because the whole time Amos is like, "Nope, I'm not leaving. I'm gonna kick its ass." At first, he's like, "Let's catch it and take it on Leno. We'll be millionaires." Which, all right, it's fair. Kind of a King Kong moment there. And then, like, but then they they're they're seeing violence, and he's clearly got the upper hand because they can't catch him, and they still stay, and they choose to stay. And then when they finally choose to leave, they find out he's booby trapped the exits and Lorna gets killed with a knife in the head, which is that great old knife in the head, slow turn before you fall over moment. Um, but was anybody else like, why, why are you still here? Like they even leave, like Amos leaves at one point to go in his car to get a gun, a cell phone, and then comes back in the bakery. Yeah. It was just a lot of, a lot of stupid horror. Um, there's some sketch that I think the premise is basically like why, like, black people never star in horror films yeah. and it's just like an interview with this black guy and they're like so like how did you defeat the evil doll and he's like well uh the doll is a foot tall so i went up and i kicked him in his fucking face and they're like but how and he's like well i opened the door i walked up to the doll and then i kicked the doll in his face and that's this whole movie in a nutshell <laughs> right it's just um yeah just what it's it's a fucking cookie. Like okay, there's a um as soon as I think the mom like uh like she's going out and she's drunk, so that's her excuse yeah. of getting caught. She thinks she's movie. got like the DTs, right? She's seeing like a, mm -hmm. a talking cookie. Um, which uh, to that actress's credit, I loved her decision to approach the cookie with like a smile. Smile, like, yes. Like, not playing drunk in in kind of this cliche like oh i'm drunk like i'm stupid yep. and i i can't perceive anything but like i'm drunk and the world is so much more interesting to me <laughs> um, and and just fyi she's a martyr blythe is a phenomenal actress uh, we, we mentioned we mentioned uh walking tall as, as sort of one of the inspirations for um uh Eye of the Tiger, and she was actually in the third Walking Tall. I believe this is the third movie, um, but she's also been in The Entity, which uh, supernatural horror people will know. Uh, just a very strong actress, and it's she was the original in the original Italian Job uh, with with uh, uh, Steve McQueen, and she's that kind of actor who, when she's on the screen, she owns every inch of it, and it just oh, yeah. shows how severely outclassed everything else on. The is you she's know, too strong it didn't uh it didn't hurt to have um the actress that played like the the snooty girl mm -hmm. um man she was terrible she was absolutely terrible like <laughs> apologies to that actress i'm sure you've done good stuff but this movie was not it um especially her finding out her dad was dead and like oh daddy you're dead goodbye daddy and like wow yeah, and, and she's that's uh, she's still acting. Alexia Alman or Ailman, I don't know how she says it. Um, she's been in some stuff. Uh, she she does fine. I think she's given some weird lines too, which I don't think help. Like um, she's given to explain a lot of things, which is an odd role for like the girl you assume to be the dumb pageant queen, kind of walking in uh, to be like like she explains black magic. And she goes off on this rambling story about how it's true because she did a Ouija board. But you're like, there's no. There's no connection to anything. Yeah, her, her dialogue should have been given to the mom for the most part. 
Yeah. Like, like, like the mom just like drunk, like, oh, well, like black magic, blah, blah, blah. And like, oh, okay, drunk. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's totally true. And and I feel like they're given, um, Lorna's character is sort of given these bits where they're, she talks more than you would expect than would be natural for her character. Like there is no reason for her character to be there and there's nothing holding her there. And she would, she does of course, eventually try and leave and gets killed in a booby trap, but she would have been gone like the first second. Like she, I don't understand the impetus to keep her there. There wasn't a strong enough reason for anyone really to stay there. Um, And I also want to point out the insanity that Lorna tries to go out the back door, gets killed with a booby trap knife and cinder block gizmo. And then they're like, the exits are booby trapped. Except for that one, because Lorna just dearmed it with her face. <laughs> like, just go out the door. Um, that, that, didn't, that didn't fly very well. Uh, I think this movie is often compared uh, to Jack Frost, um, which I, I don't, some people have said it's better. It's, um, uh, it, not the Jack Frost from 98 um, by Mark Stephen Johnson. Not the uh, good we, Keaton one. Exactly. Not the Keaton one. The other one uh, from 2001, I think. because oh, I was going to say, I, I was thinking the whole time I'd rather be watching Santa's Sleigh, which came out the same yes. year. Yes. Yeah, Santa uh, Sle- and Santa's Sleigh, by the way, Sleigh spelled S-L-A-Y. Yeah. Um, sorry, Jack Frost is from 97. So it's, it's pre- preceded by eight years. And it's about a serial killer who ends up being transferred into a snowman. And uh, it's famous for having a tasteless scene where uh, it kills uh, one of the girls in it by, uh, having, by raping her with his uh, carrot nose placed on his midsection. Yeesh. And yeah, it's, it sounds really gruesome. And in thought, it's gruesome. And on film, it's just sad. Um, <laughs> It's really sad. It's a it, carrot. A carrot. Yeah, uh, a carrot. Better, better, or worse than the uh, the tree scene from Evil Dead. Uh, worse made, less disturbing. Because okay. the tree scene in Evil Dead is honestly an, an interesting story. That I don't know where what interview this was in, but um, Xena uh, uh, herself is married to uh, um, Sam Raimi's brother, and one of his brothers, and. Uh, she saw that movie and said and walked out on that scene like this is disgusting the people who made this movie are degenerates i would never and then she met them later and ended up marrying her brother it's like yeah well apparently that's how things happen and um and so i thought that was an interesting uh, that's of course lucy lawless and uh so yeah so that's another one of those famous scenes the difference is is that evil dead is while kooky the first one it is a horror film and that's a disturbing scene um and in Jack Frost, it's just taste like it's it's not even it's not horrific and it's not funny. It's just tasteless. And so you're just like <sighs> you're like I remember the, the rental from video update just being like, that's I rented it. Like, <laughs> you know. Um, but anyway, so uh this is very much in the vein of that, but I think that it is this is a, a little bit better quality writing with less quality entertainment maybe because as insanely sad as that was it was one of those scenes that you're like did i just did i just see that i did just see that um but yeah but the the plot just doesn't make a lot of sense because i actually liked that they didn't go into a whole bit about like how the how the killer's mom like learned black magic we don't care i like that literally 
it's just like they get a a box of gingerbread mix at the bakery which sounds fairly normal although it's delivered to the back door by someone in a long black robe not normal standard uh, uh, ups <laughs> yeah that that's that is essentially what amazon prime does now though <laughs> they just uh black magic it to your door uh throw it over the fence i get so many broken packages i i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to call out our amazon uh delivery guy out here because i'm sure it's a terrible job but uh they just huck them right over the fence just make sure you don't uh, slow drip like six droplets of blood on anything you get. Yeah. So the character that bleeds into the initial initial mix um, is uh, uh, I'm trying trying to remember his character's name. Brick. Is it Jimmy? Oh, it's Brick. it's Brick. It's played by uh, Jonathan Chase, and uh, he's been in stuff as well. He was um, he was in the Gamer. Uh, another gay movie, which has got a call following. He's been in some TV stuff. He was in Bird Box in a small uncredited role. So he's, he's still acting. Um, I actually thought he was pretty great. He doesn't have a huge role. Uh, he plays like the guy that kind of wants to date Sarah, but is respectful when she kindly turns him down. He's worked at the bakery for a long time. He's like an old friend kind of character. And he's obsessed with wrestling and wants to be an amateur wrestler called the Butcher Baker. And he's gone, he's at the beginning of the movie and he's gone for almost the whole movie. And then he comes back in to be sort of heroic at the end. And he has what I think is the best remembered scene in this movie, uh, which while my favorite is the rat smack talk scene, this is the scene where he tackles a ginger dead man and eats him, uh, the bloody, gory, squirming mess of gingerbread that he is. Uh, and then ultimately becomes possessed by him because of it and is, and is baked in the oven. So. I actually thought he did a really cool job and let's listen to this bit because he kind of he eats him and then he takes on Busey's persona right as Millard I actually thought he did a pretty good job with the voice he did and, a good and impersonation yeah, he, not bad. he, he it did was very so, subtle yeah exactly he didn't over the top yeah, it let's yeah. let's listen to it here and speaking of evil dead uh his makeup is very reminiscent of a light evil dead possession looky there just like magic you couldn't stop me back at the diner took care of your old man and your pussy brother and you ain't gonna stop me now i was scared of you back at the diner but i'm through with being scared of you Millard. now i love the screams at the end of that clip because it's of course um her it's uh, uh robin sydney's lead character and um her her friend like assistant um who is I can't remember that character's name at the moment. She's only in a little bit. Uh, she gets temporarily frozen in the walk-in freezer uh, with uh, whipped cream boobs and cherry nipples at one point. Um, that's, it's, that scene is so uh, odd because it's dirty-ish, but also kind of childlike. And that's played by Daniela Melgoza, um, who's been in, she's actually a stage actress, I believe as well. Um, and uh, she's done a fair amount. Uh, she's, she's acted as recently as 2011. She was in Ghost Town. Uh, but anyway, she's sort of frozen for most of the movie. And, uh, and then at the end, she joins in the Scream Fest while everyone just pushes Brick's possessed character into the giant walk-in oven, which I'm going to be honest, I didn't know that's a thing. I'm still not sure that is a thing. Uh, I didn't know that was a thing. It, it looks, I mean, it looks, I mean, here's the thing. It's like the clone machine from the fly, but like the Amazon special label resale version that's not pretty and it's just a box. And you're like, it does the same thing, you know, it just doesn't 
doesn't have a name brand on it. That's what it looks like. Um, and they shove him in there. And uh, yeah, it was weird to have a climax. It was just a bunch of people screaming in unison and what I think is ADR. Like that was it. Like you expect when she says, I'm not scared of you anymore, that she's going to do something. Like she's going to shoot him or whatever. And no, it's just they all bum rush him and throw him into the thing. I'm like, you were more uh, like he was he was potentially more threatening as a person than he was as a cookie yet more simple to beat um than he was as a cookie also why is cooking him i guess because he's a person's body now maybe that's why because because he, he's cooked to come to life like he's cooked he's a physical cooked cookie um who can take bullet holes with nothing but go into the the oven and I, I gave I, up I, on logic around scene like three. Scene three. I, I, I went with the human bit, or yeah. like the only way to ruin a cookie is to overcook over it. Bake it. Overcook like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. I like that one. Um, now let's talk about the the ending of this film because this is the the type of ending that uh, is the Jason. Uh, it's a Friday the Thirteenth Part One slash uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, finish where it's a fake out happy ending uh, but the fake out happy ending is that in the future the restaurant or the bakery is doing fine they're having a sidewalk sale with nurses I don't understand where the nurses come in clearly it's a benefit it's a bake sale but the oh, nurses like from her school because she's going to school to oh nurse. she's going to nursing school that's right thank you thank you for tying that back into me because oh, I had forgotten completely um, characters and story and <laughs> background and, in this one <laughs> well, and I mean again I'm going to say I actually think that Amos's character and her character and the side character of Brick are actually cute characters that are surprisingly well rounded for the little screen time they actually get like yeah. like I feel like you could have taken those out put those in a Nickelodeon like Nick Teen or Teen Nick movie um, and it probably would have totally flown like it's a little bit Gilmore Girls on the cheap without the witty language um, and which, what are you left with without the witty language? I don't know, but, uh, but it is that, and it, it sur survives. Okay. And then you get like, you know, Millard, the killer's character just has nothing. Um, but anyway, the nurses are like, uh, one of the kids walks up from a little baseball team at the bake sale and it's like, um, do you guys have any gingerbread men left? And she's like, not if I'm lucky. And then the nurses are like, well, actually an old lady brought some over to us. And she opens up like the box and it's like three for what if I'm uh, actual gingerbread men, but then their eyes open in a really cheesy 3D overlay. And then, and that's it. Um, until of course the sequel. And uh, I, what did you guys, how did you feel about that? Because obviously the movie's not serious, but the whole fake out, what I felt, as I asked you, I'm gonna answer it first. I was like, I just want more of the mom then because the mom is the real interesting character in this whole thing. She raised a serial kill killer and mastered black magic. Like, it's sort of like if you had like a, a kung fu fighting panda bear in the background of Herbie's, you know, fully loaded. Like, I want to follow that. A talking car is something, but a panda bear that does kung fu, that's, that's two. I need both of those things in my life. Um, and so it was just another scene where they was reminded that there was something I didn't get. Uh, and that's how I felt. What, what were your guys' take on that ending? I was psyched that they had a tie-in, like a strong tie-in for a sequel. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like there was a lot of voiceovers, like of the mother, like chanting and stuff. So like just kind of there as a presence. But I agree it would have been really cool to have more um, 
more of like the real villain behind the cookie. Yeah. I, I like I would like a um a ginger dead man origin story. And it's like his mother just like feeds him baked goods and then beats him with a pan, like, no, eating. Ah, but you told me I had to finish what I started. No, you know what I mean? Like you could have this this whole thing could wrap up together. Um and uh and then Jake Busey could play the adult. Uh and it like, you know, I, I'm totally down again. Uh, Charles Band, I'm available. Uh, I can have a treatment to you next week. We can we can rock this out. Um, but yeah, so so I think uh, the other thing that's always nice is I like films that take advantage of having the right set. And I wish that they worked harder to to have a plausible reason for everyone to be stuck in the bakery. Um, like I wish they'd gone all out. Like in Bad Channels, another film production, like the the alien like causes fungus to seal the door shut. Okay, why didn't like Rising Doe seal the door shut? You know what I mean? Like I really just wanted some reason that would have forced everyone in there because it just seemed so motivationless to the, have everyone. The Gingerbread Man was not powerful enough. He wasn't True. menacing. Like he just was. A gingerbread man. And they don't say that he is either, right? He literally is. Like, he, he makes booby traps, which is kind of the difference between... Well, that's not true. Like, I think when you watch this movie, it's kind of hard not to compare it to Child's Play because, um, like like many of these, like Puppet Master before it, you get a lot of POV shots from, like, the little... Or actually, you don't get that many POV shots, but you get shots of little legs running and things like that to give you the sense of scale uh, for the cookie. And, of course, Charles Band is kind of very experienced in that. But Child's Play has a very strong villain. Chucky is a character at the end. He talks a lot. Uh, he has emotional responses to things. And he's voiced by one of the greatest actors known to our society. Um, and in this, you just don't really... Like, Gary Busey's fantastic, but he's underutilized. Um, we haven't talked about the cookie itself. I'm a big fan of this cookie, uh, it's ridiculous. Um, its eyes are painted. Like if you're, if you're on the Patreon or if you look at the poster, it looks like it's got big Gary Busey tea. It doesn't really like it does. It does weirdly look a little like Gary Busey. Um, but it's clearly a puppet with no moving parts. Um, you know, this it's is got this, a smile really. Like, yeah. And I mean, they do a good job with the movements, but again, this is, this is post-original Puppet Master. You know, we're not getting any animatronics or puppetry here. We're getting a hand puppet that is wobbled back and forth. Um, and I always want, I wish in these, I love when the feature takes the time to do like at least one stop motion animated scene. Um, and we didn't get it. Uh, and, and they could have done so much. Like he could have, you know, like, lost the gun and they're like you don't got a weapon now cookie and he's like oh yeah and he snaps off his arm and he hucks it like a ninja star you know like you could have done any number of things with limited effects and it really would have added that panache um you could have blown your whole budget on him like morphing with all the other dough and being a giant monster like yeah yeah i mean there could there's a lot of opportunity and again uh if this is interesting you watch it i don't think i don't I wasn't bored. I saw one review from a, a, a fellow horror site that said um, it was the most painful. It, it was the shortest movie I've ever seen and the most painful. That's not fair. This is not, this is not a great film, um, but you, there's a chance you'll be entertained by it if you like. 
cheesy horror flicks that have ridiculous premises. Uh, and it's an hour and 10 minutes. It does not feel like a three hour, you know, long haul, I didn't think. Um, and if you watch it, you can eventually watch the fourth sequel, which is a crossover with Charles Band's The Evil Bong, uh, where the uh, vile, feminine, evil bong uh, and ginger dead man meet. So I really think that, that we should give credit to that. Um, and I'm not making that up. That's real. There's also a comic series that, that it was loosely adapted from. Uh, so give it, give it a shot. I, I think we owe credit to the marketers of this movie, of this series, because you have the ginger dead man, which I would have, you know, I, I saw it with a, for a reason. I sought it out as soon as I saw it existed. Then you have ginger dead man Two: passion of the crust, which is hilarious. Uh, and, and then you have Ginger Dead Man 3, Saturday Night Cleaver, which is somehow even better and worse because it has nothing to do with baking, but it does have a pun in another movie for no particular reason, except that he travels back in time to 1976. Um, don't ask why, you know? Uh, and then, of course, yeah, you get the Ginger Dead Man versus Evil Bong, which is from 2013. Uh, and again, I will say that the, the person who's taken over the voice for Gary Busey in those sequels, because Gary Busey, again, only did this one, uh, does a good job. Uh, actually, probably is a little freeing, being that he's not actually Gary Busey. He can kind of do what he wants with the work, and I, I presume ad-lib a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think it sounds like the general consensus is that maybe this was a little disappointing because of the premise. I think if it was called like uh, uh, Bakery of Doom, and didn't have a gingerbread man on the cover, I would have been more entertained because I wouldn't have known what to expect. And there would have been a little bit of surprise. But when you promise me a killer gingerbread man voiced by legend Gary Busey, I need a lot of Gary Busey. Um, like, I wish they just sat him down all a talking cat in his living room and just recorded like five hours of, of them like, hey, insult this insult this insult this and just hold up various baked goods you know <laughs> like uh until he's just falling asleep like you're the crawler of my discontent i don't know it doesn't it doesn't even make sense it doesn't have to like i'd have been totally into that um but i feel like they kind of missed out and did and did Busey a disservice here yeah i mean just in this uh you know this conversation you, you came up with the idea of the you know ninja star i mean he i think instead of chopping off the woman's finger you know, he he, uh, he should have been like, would you like a ginger snap? And then instead of taking out a knife, he takes out a hammer and like breaks a finger. It's like, ah, there's a ginger snap. You know, just like some weird, stupid puns. and Yeah. Uh, I, you know, well, and I also... Silly fun stuff, yeah. I mean, I know that we brought up... I brought up Jack Frost from 2000... Or from 97. Uh, but I also wanted this to be a Christmas movie. Um, mm. Because you, you could have brought a lot more in... Um, if you made it a Christmas film, you know, like uh, he could have thrown Christmas cookies, you know, um, and then you have like some um, uh, like if she like when um, when uh, the character is in the freezer and they find her and he's decorated her like a naked lady um, with with frosting or whipped cream like it, she looks like a snowman. It just it was a weird thing that the movie had many moments that felt like a, a holiday horror themed film that weren't. Uh, and I think something like Thanks Killing, which I think enter succeeds in being complete madness, and I'm sure we'll touch on that when it comes down to Thanksgiving time, uh, is more successful because they didn't hold back. There was no in 
there was no intent to have a, a, a realistic romance budding between two established young actors. Uh, they just were like, yeah, it's a crazy fucking turkey puppet and it's going to kill people. Turkey flavored condoms, throw it in there. You know, broiled carrots, throw it in there. You know, animated cutscene, throw it in there. Like everything, just, just dump it all in. Um, and if they'd done that, this would have been, uh, instead of just well-known, which I think it is in the cult circles, it would have been uh, highly recommended. Yeah. So Jeff, do you have a rewrite for us? No. That's a failure. One, one, one a week. I've decided. <clears throat> it was a big rewrite, though. It was a big. I took. I took like it took me like you know like thirty minutes or whatever to you know go film again and really, really I, give it a good rewrite. I uh, heard it here first. Uh, Jeff says the film's perfect as is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, like honestly, no rewrite needed. It, both of these films require, you know, a, a pretty substantial rewrite. I mean, I, I think honestly, like this this particular film, the rewrite just isn't dialogue. It just needed more interesting dialogue. Yeah. Um, it just needed to be funny. Like, sure. it just wasn't that funny. Because yeah. um, the pacing is actually not terrible. It does take a surprising long time. I mean, it's a short film, but of that runtime to get to him. But as soon as yeah. you get, as soon as, like, there is, I will say, except for the rat scene, everything does have a purpose. Um, yeah. Like each scene, and thank God they left the rat scene in. It's fucking hilarious. Um, but there's a purpose for everything. We see this happen because this is going to happen because this is going to happen. Um, and I, the pacing is not too terrible. And the dialogue that I think is the strongest, which is between the human characters about normal life shit, uh, is in that beginning part. That And it's probably the most successful, uh, technically, of it. Uh, and then we get, you know, the ginger dead man. Uh, I wish that they'd use, um, I mentioned the set. I liked that they actually filmed clearly in a bakery, although I don't know how huge this bakery is supposed to fucking be because shit's happening like next, like five feet away, what it looks like, and they don't hear it at all. Uh, there's a guy gets slammed into the building by a car. Uh, there's a woman screaming her head off while she gets her finger cut off. And everyone's like, meh, I don't hear anything until Sarah goes back in to get Brick, who's been possessed, and they're outside the building and she's all the way in the back and she screams and they hear it all the way outside in the back that is truly madness uh but at that point most of us have stopped paying attention to any sort of technicality as, as soon as there's blood in the dough and like they were just like moving on with their life and they started making cookies from it i just was like okay there's I'm there's no there's no like, that, logic yep. yeah <laughs> it really bothered me I, it's funny know. though it's, it's funny though i like that you guys uh, seem to assume that that probably hasn't happened in your life we all eat out so much i think blood yeah, I, I, is I the most continue you know this blood <laughs> blood is if there's only been blood in the food that i've eaten over the years I'm considering myself lucky. I'm considering myself, that stuff, eh, it's going to biodegrade. I think it's less of the, like, lack of belief in a blood in food. It's how they shot it, where it's like, okay, like, like had I seen, like, one little drop fall in and hit, like, oh, okay, that's all the magic I need. But you know what? We're going to, like, like if, 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 it was like 30 seconds, 30 seconds for like six drops of blood. And I'm like, she's just mm -hmm. holding his hand and is like, like, we don't see their faces. Are they just staring blankly at each other? Like, yep. what are they doing? I, I'm pretty sure this was the thought from the editor's standpoint. <laughs> they were like, click, click, turn the little editing wheel. And they're like, okay, um, how long should we hold this shot? I'm like, I think they'll get it right away. And like, 
they're renting the ginger dead man. You're right. Better leave it on for 30 seconds. You know, like there was no, 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 it wasn't even that. It was, they had that conversation and forgot that they were like holding the slow down button the whole time. Or like, Oh shit. And looked down at the, like the editing board and we're like, uh, uh, keep it. Don't tell. Yeah. It's something along those lines. And, uh, and it then when they, that the blood was still visible after the dose. Oh yeah. Oh, they so like in the that, mixer. It looks like yeah, strawberry shortcake mixer. ice cream. It is so <laughs> yeah. red and disgusting. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I really bothered. And then and then I love. I'm like, maybe you should sell. Like, I will go to the to the you know one across the street. By the way, we didn't even mention Margaret Blythe intro to her character as the mother being drunk with like a bottle of Jim Beam uh, on the sidewalk shooting a shotgun across the street with impeccable aim at the restaurant that's opening up. And they're like, no, that was funny. It was, I totally. And again, that was off the wall. Like, are you kidding me? And I was like, okay, I was sold. Uh, it was her best scene, except for the, I did like the smiling, like Pillsbury Doughboy tummy poke that she goes for with the, uh, with, with the ginger dead man. <laughs> so um, I will say that, I will start with this one. I would recommend The Ginger Dead Man to people who love Gary Busey for Gary Busey and not necessarily for his body of work because I think that they'll be mildly entertained. Uh, people who love Full Moon Pictures and just are used to having an occasional one that misses its promise, uh, promised interest level by a smidge. Um, and people who kind of, who like decent, dialogue teen romance from the early 2000s like you know if, if you if you like you know watch some direct-to-video Buffy knockoffs at the time because you couldn't get enough and you still kind of tolerated them you'll probably be fine with this one um, plus if you want to watch the sequels which are even more insane uh, then watch this one first it'll give you the background you need Greg who would you recommend the ginger dead man to and why uh, I would not recommend this to anyone. Um, do, do you want a practical effects, cool, like small creature horror film? Go watch Leprechaun. Go watch Child's Play. Do you want a horror Christmas movie? Go watch Santa's Sleigh. Go watch even Krampus. Like, just With pick Adam something. Scott. Pick, yeah. pick something else. This wasn't good. Do you want Gary Busey? Go watch Eye of the Tiger that we just talked about. That was entertaining. Fair, fair, fair. Jeff. Who would you recommend The Ginger Dead Man to and why? Yeah, I mean, this was my least favorite of the full moon that we've done. Um, so it's a little bit hard to target an audience. But uh, I, I think it's really just like the novelty of it. Like you, if like you get really excited about the title, you know, then you're probably the person that uh, wants to watch it. Um, yeah, not that's I'm very much on the opposite spectrum. Very targeted. Does absolutely Jeff. Nothing, nothing for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah i i think i think you're right i think the novelty is a big selling point to this um and uh and it's certainly it's a nice looking cover to put on your shelf uh if you like bizarre cult flicks um but i, I agree i think the promise is missed mandy who would you recommend this film to and why uh mostly going with Greg. I really wouldn't recommend it to anyone, but I would give a strong, strong disrecommendation, like anti-recommendation, <laughs> to people like me who have a fear of dying and walk in freezers or ovens. <laughs> <'Cause> I, <laughs> Trigger warning. 
<laughs> they're both of those. There are both of those yeah. in this. Yeah. Huge trigger warning. Um, yeah, that's one of my fears. It's uh, job related for me. And I, yeah, it's not how I want to go. So when I see people like locked in places, I kind of freak out. Yeah. And there are several people who lock in and they pound on the little window and like it gives you disturbing, mm -hmm. like Schindler's List methodology brain thoughts. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I just, I just like to say that there. my place of work is very safe. There are safety protocols, but they're still there and it's a risk. And so when I see people like shoved in places, I'm like, no. Yeah. And when Sarah is stuck in uh, the, the oven near the end and Amos shoots the handle to let her out, that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. I don't, right. I don't understand no. what physics problem uh, broke in order to allow that yeah. to happen. They're like, and now there's just no handle to get it to unlatch. I, uh, Damn no. it. Not, Amos, not a, not a yeah. thing. Anyway, Dr. Manhattan. So if problem. that is, if that is a fear of yours, don't watch this film because trigger warning. There's a lot of that stuff in there. Or do watch it because it'll be the scariest movie you've ever seen, <laughs> except for <laughs> Freezer Lock Six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for uh, joining us for this episode of Cult and Classic Podcast, where we bring you mainstream and bizarre movies paired together thematically and discuss them both. To play us out, as always, is The Chud with All About Evil. I would like to recommend everyone join our Patreon for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Podcast, where we give you free stuff, free videos, exclusives. You can look at our pretty faces. Plus, you can get cool swag like autographed custom trading cards, zines, and all sorts of fun stuff. Remember that the clips used in the show are for review purposes only and are owned by the respective film owners. Thank you guys so much and have a great day. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.